As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. This is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on Apple Podcasts. This is Dumpty Dum, a podcast about the archers and the goings on of Ambridge. I'm Jacqueline Berto, who is waving her Cleethorpes tea towel very proudly in the air. And I'm Stephen Bowden, who is showing Tracy <clears throat> how to make a virgin mojito. Not that I approve of virgin mojitos or any other sort of mocktails, but there you are. <laughs> and then there's you, our lovely dumpty dummers, sipping your pints of Gulch's Moxie with typical fashionista flair. Welcome to Dumpty Dum, a show about our favourite country village. This week's episodes of The Archers were written by Sarah Hehir. Coming up, we have calls from... Laura from Bedfordshire, who wonders what's happening at Grey Gables. Andrea from Brittany, who currently likes Helen. Jen, Ambridge Pony Club, who has thoughts about Champion the Wonder Pony. Catherine, who talks about Kate and those bin bags. Witherspoon who has thoughts on the week's big shock. And finally, Emma, a first-time caller in from Poland, who also has views on Friday's news. Plus, we have The Week in Ambridge by Sui, a roundup of the Dumpty Dum Facebook group by Rob, and the tweets of the week from Theo. But before Stephen and I start rattling on again, let's remind ourselves of what happened over the last seven days with a roundup of The Week in Ambridge from our Sui. Hello lovely people, it's Sui here, Queen on Tartan Twitchers and Blue Sky and all that malarkey. Time for a quick reminder of what happened this week in Ambridge. On New Year's Eve, Lillian, Brian and Tony remembered the old days and John's 48th birthday, had he not been squashed by a tractor. Lillian and Brian won at darts in the ball. Tony had to go home to Pat, not appearing in this episode. 
Kenton tricks the regulars, but Neville into drinking alcohol-free IPA from Shire's Brewery. <gasps> they are instigating a competition to see who has been drinking at the ball the longest. Much paperwork has accrued as a result. Tony threw Kate's clothes away. Actually, what he did was he took a load of black plastic sacks of stuff and took them down the local tip. Nobody knows why Kate is moving out before the house gets sold and moving in with Brian, but hey-ho, what is it to do with us? Her wristband from Glastonbury was thrown away. She couldn't get it back from the tip. Jacob tried and failed to find it in his house. He did try very, very hard. Joy gave Kate some of the elusive Rochelle's clothes and said it hadn't been her turn for Christmas. Hasn't been for all the time she's been in Ambridge, let's be clear. It was Henry's birthday, and at first it looked like he was going to have pizza with his mum and Jack and some friends, all in the same restaurant, sitting at different tables. But Helen then surprised him by arranging an adventure high-wire outing in the dark. It looked like he wasn't going to go, or that the high-wire winds and months' worth of rainfall might call it off. But he went and seemed to have a great time. Martha was traumatised by a trip to the Panto, where, quite unbelievably, she saw two halves of a pantomime horse and no wants anything to do with Champion the Wonder Horse, no horsey. Chris and Jacob were supposed to have seen Champion before Chris bought him, but apparently Lillian has a better eye for horse flesh as she decided he was too chunky and will now be on an exercise regime. It's going to be Mia's birthday soon and Brad decided that she should have a project to do as Mia is never going to indulge in rampant consumerism. There was a will she, won't she be allowed to help organise the eco-fashion show at the ball with Jolene and Lillian. Kenton was very much a no, but Jolene said yes. Oh my, this should be fun to watch from a distance. Finally, we discovered that Rob has enacted his final, hopefully, control over Ambridge. Miles was identified as the buyer of 10 acres of Grange Farm following Rob's last wishes. I have so many questions about how his will was written who paid the bill for the actual land. I can't imagine probates come through. But the real question for this week is what was Kate eating at afternoon tea? And did she have vegan cream? And did she take it to tea with her? We've never heard mention of vegan cream tea from Emma and Fallon. Did she leave the village and go to another tea shop? We need answers. Hopefully we'll get some of them next week, but I'm not holding my breath. Hope it's a good one. Thank you for that, Suey. No, I thought she had cream tea at the laurels. Or would they have vegan cream? Who knows? Um, sorry, Suey, to question uh, your ending there. But Stephen, how's your week been? It's actually been a very quiet week. It's the first week back at work after the New Year break and the schools are still out around here. So a lot of people aren't actually back in the office. Not many meetings going on. So it's a chance just to catch up and see how things have been going. I think a lot less exciting than your week. Oh, my week has been fabulous, I have to say. But also, if I admit in public that 15 minutes ago I was still in bed, that I'm so embarrassed because normally I'm a very early riser and um, I did wake at 4am and I sorted out a wash a load of washing and then I went back to bed. And I think, never thinking that I'd sleep for another three and a half hours and woke up at five to nine which must have been some kind of internal clock panic. And so I apologise for that. I apologise to Stephen. And if I don't sound quite as awake as I should do, it's because I'm um, 
somewhere still on the west coast of California. But I've had a fabulous week. What an amazing trip I've had. Brilliant place. I want to go back. I want to be there now. <laughs> it certainly will be a bit warmer there, at least during I, the day. During the day, yeah, but the nights. We've had we had frost on the car. I had to scrape frost off the car. But it's the blue skies. It's the lights. It's just... And the breakfast. I can't talk about too much breakfast because I've eaten a lot of breakfast. Well, I was away for three weeks. You would, wouldn't you? So Your, um, fir <laughs> your first experience of biscuits and gravy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That was funny. And in fact, I've, I did have them a second time. And it was in a more bijou rather than a, than a uh, diner diner. And um, it was a totally different experience. My first was a bit a bit slimy and a bit meh, a bit insipid. But the second ones were definitely better. Not like you've bought a set of scones from another supermarket. All supermarkets are available. So sort of uh, manufactured scones covered in chicken soup, which is how I described the first ones. Anyway, there we go. So I'll stop. I'll stop. Right. Shall we start with the calls? Okay, and that means we start with this. Hello, Pusscat. First up is a call from Laura. Hello, everyone. It's Laura from Bedfordshire here. Sorry, it's been a while since I've last rung in. I hope everyone had a lovely Christmas and Happy New Year. I'm a broken record, really. I know I've rung in a few times, but again, this is about Grey Gables, and I'm just wondering, is the hotel open now? I know we had the party a few weeks ago that Adil put on in the polytunnel. I keep meaning to say or wanting to say Portaloo or Porter Cabin, but it was the polytunnel. And we had Ian there with the pizzas. I think we had some stuff possibly even coming out of the kitchen. I'm not 100% sure about that. After that, there hasn't really been any more conversation, has there? And I know there was obviously all the stress with the rest of the hotel. Are the rooms ready? Is the rest of the hotel open? Have we kind of got over all the challenges that we had regarding the kitchen and the bedrooms, et cetera, et cetera, which was so stressful sort of November time. I know I, along with lots of other people, thought that possibly New Year's Eve was going to be a big opening ceremony for the hotel. And this is New Year's Day. I haven't listened for a few days, but there hasn't been any mention of that over the past couple of weeks, has there? So I'm assuming there's no grand opening, no ball on New Year's Eve to speak of. So, yeah, really just a question. Is Grey Gables just open now? Is, are people visiting? Are people using the rooms, et cetera, et cetera? And is that the end of that storyline? Personally, I think it'd be good if it just got finished off very clearly in a slightly different way, especially after the sad passing of the actor that played Roy and the fact that Roy would probably have been quite a fundamental part of that whole process. I, I guess it even could be a way of them writing out the character if they needed to. Anyway, perhaps... As often happens with my predictions, something will happen in the next few days, but we'll see. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Thank you very much for that call, Laura. And I think the, the short answer to your question is that we've heard nothing to suggest that Grey Gables has actually opened. I think that if it were to open, we would hear about it. It's a big enough issue. We've heard a bit from Oliver, but nothing from Ardil recently. So who knows? The kitchens, I think they, they sorted out the kitchens by buying in the secondhand stuff from La Femme du Monde, the restaurant that had closed. And I guess it'll take a certain amount of time to install all that. And it has been the, the Christmas and New Year break. And I guess that work stopped for a while over that period. But yes, it, it does seem to be a storyline that's been put on the back burner. It's burning through Oliver's money. But then again, he's only just raised the money from the sale of those 10 acres, and we'll, we'll get on to that particular issue a bit later on. 
there's a good point about Roy. I think that Roy was probably going to be a reasonably important part of the future of Grey Gables. And now with Ian Pepperell having died, they need to rethink that. There's a question about whether they'll recast Roy. And I think given that Roy himself is only 45, a bit younger than Ian who played him, that there would have been a lot of time left for him to develop storylines and so forth. So it wouldn't surprise me if he were recast, but that's going to take time. And I guess that they are going to have to work through the implications of any changes that they make. What do you think, Jacqueline? Well, yeah, and I, I agree. It's been very bitty for me, the Grey Gables stories, ever since they suddenly decided to close and redo it. I found that we've had intense weeks of Ardil and his relationship with both Roy and Oliver and Linda. But it seems to be dragging on so much. And yeah, we had that party in the Portaloo, as Laura says. And I just, I don't know, I just something about the whole story. I lost interest in it now because it's gone on so long. Because it isn't realistic. It hasn't been realistic. I mean, you've had recent renovation work done to your house. I've had work done to my house. And it's over and when it's over and done with, you celebrate it and then you get on with your normal life. And that's really what I want for Grey Gables now. As we said, the story of Roy and the implication of his person in the, the story will obviously have to have been changed. Maybe Ian Pepperell being ill is what actually delayed the moving on of the story for the scriptwriters. So <clears throat> let's see. But yes, I hope, like Laura, I hope that it's all done and dusted and that Grey Gables will open very soon. So much fanfare. We'll be finished with that one and we'll move on with the rest of our lives. I think we do need Grey Gables to be open, to be a yeah. place for people to meet and for stories to happen. So the sooner it happens, the better. Yeah, indeed. Our next call comes from not very far from where you are now. Mm. It's from Andrea. Hey, dumpty dummers everywhere. It's Andrea from beautiful Brittany calling in just to firstly wish you a belated Happy New Year. Sorry, it probably is late. It's still the school holidays here, so I've actually no idea what day of the week it is or quite how far past New Year we are. So there you go. I want to say thank you to Stephen for last week's lovely tribute to Ian Pepperell, the lovely character of Roy. I know he was a bit boring, but I did really like him. And one of my favourite things with Roy was his and Kirsty's relationship and just the two of them being really close friends. And you could just imagine them sitting on the sofa, really comfortable and just chatting about everything and nothing with each other. I really enjoyed those scenes of those two together. So thank you to Stephen for putting that tribute together. And the other thing that I'm a bit hesitant to talk about, I'm having weird unknown emotions. If I'd only just started listening to The Archers in the last couple of weeks, I would say that I quite like that woman, Helen. She's made a couple of jokes, or, well, should I say she's uh, put in a couple of witty one-liners, and she's been really wonderful with Henry. Uh, I don't think she was ever like this before, not even before Rob. It's just weird. I mean, I hope it continues. And I can finally say that I am pleased that Helen didn't die in childbirth all those years ago, even though it meant that the lovely Nigel died. I quite like Helen, though, and I hope this Helen stays around for longer. That's all for now. Try it. Thank you for that, Andrea. Yes, and a Happy New Year to you, too. Yeah, Stephen, you did a brilliant job last week. I'm sorry that I had so many technical problems, but hey, one of these things happen, don't they, when you're out in the world? Kirsty and Roy. 
I wasn't a Roy fan because he was just kind of nothing. For He didn't, I don't know, I just found him a bit of a, one of those characters that is always there. And in fact, when you look back and with your retrospective view last week, he was pivotal to so many stories. But I didn't really appreciate him as a character. I, I know it is, I've said it out in the open. But his relationship with Kirsty, I did. I agree with Andrea totally. I loved the fact that they were good mates. And I know a long, long time ago, I called into Dum De Dum saying that I felt there was a real connection between them. <clears throat> and Lucy and Royfield both poo-pooed the whole idea. But I know in recent years, people have also said that, that in fact the, their uh, relationship, they would be good for each other together. And I'm not one of those people who normally looks for love interest in our favourite characters of people meeting up in the village, immediately think that they're, that's it, and they're going to get together. But um, those two, I always felt there was such a connection between them. So it's great. Now, Helen, oh, Andrea, you're letting the side down there. But I do agree with you. I'm also pleased she didn't die. And I think that Henry's storyline is a story that's going to give us lots to talk about in the coming years. Yeah, thanks for that, Andrea. Well, whether we keep that new bright, bouncy, friendly Helen for much longer is something that we, we will pick up later on. Yes, exactly. That was why I wasn't mentioning the elephant in the room. <laughs> no, no, we, we have a couple of calls about that. Just going back to Roy and, and Roy and Kirsty in particular, I didn't mention that relationship. But when I was going back and looking at what Roy had done, the very last episode that Roy was in was when he and Kirsty went round to Brian to have dinner and Brian had taken one of Jennifer's beef wellingtons out of the yeah. freezer to serve for them. And it was a actually a really lovely scene. It was back in February, if people wanted to try and track it down. And the two of them and Brian being at that point, I think he'd just moved into Blossom Hill Cottage and it was all a bit of a flap. And then Alice turned up and discovered that nobody had eaten their dessert and that was because the dessert was sitting on the table. It was shop-bought something or other sitting on the table but Brian had forgotten to put out any plates or knives or forks or anything to eat the dessert with so Roy and Kirsty were politely looking at it I think wondering <laughs> who should raise that that issue but that was the very last scene we had so I, I think that that was a very nice way for Roy and Kirsty to go out yeah and I know what everybody says about Roy being boring but in a way that boringness was the perfect backdrop for the extremely funny stories that Roy frequently got involved with. And I, I played a clip from the, the time that Layla came to visit. But that was just one of many. Another clip that I, I snuck in was the New Year's Eve from, I think it was New Year's Eve 2016, when Tracy was going after Roy. Yeah, snogging. <laughs> and snogged him, much to Roy's discomfort. So I think constantly, Roy, and in particular his love life, was the source of not long-running storylines, but light episodes, which I think that Ian Pepperell played so well. And that clip of him as John the Baptist demonstrated the range of Ian as an actor far beyond the very quiet and calm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that was passionate that when I opened up the podcast to listen last week, that his voice coming out, and I thought exactly that. That just goes to show what a brilliant actor Ian Pepperell was. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. Good clip. Good episode of Dum to Dum last week. Flying solo there, Stephen. Thank you very much. A bit shorter than we we like, but it was Christmas, and I hope we got an episode out, which absolutely. I, I a lot of podcasts take a break or do a, a retrospective look back over the year, but 
to be honest, doing a retrospective look over 2023 would have been more work for me than producing yeah. a regular episode, even by myself. <laughs> Let's move on to our oh, yeah. next call. And this one comes from Jen, Ambridge Pony Club. Greetings, everyone in Dumpy Dumland. Well, we've had a lot of pony action this week. Very peculiar over the business with Champion. Chris had asked Yakult to look out for a pony, and then Yakult identified one. And then the next minute, there's a problem with it, and somehow Yakult doesn't seem to have even examined this thing. Now, he wasn't asked formally to do a vetting by Chris, but you'd think if you're going to recommend a pony to a friend and somebody that you do quite a bit work with that you would at least run your hand over it or have a look at it so I didn't understand all that very dull that they're doing the fat pony thing again I mean all Shetlands are rotund let's face it shout out to Miranda from the Tweet Along though she made a very good point when she raised the issue of Cushing's disease and a very fluffy fat pony with a pronounced crest that's certainly a differential diagnosis which again Yakult really should have spotted so I was somewhat cynically left wondering if Yakult needed to make his numbers in January for the corporate bosses and saw Chris coming as a potential sort of source of revenue because he could have all kinds of fun doing blood tests for equine metabolic syndrome, Cushing's disease, taking x-rays of the thing's feet. I could run up 2,000 quid on that pony, no bother at all. Maybe that's what Yakult was up to. Lots of people on Tootalong ask you if it's normal for a two-year-old to have a pony and yeah, in our neck of the woods, absolutely is. Had loads of fun with my son and ponies at that age. Very, very cute to do the dressing up classes with them at shows, things like that. It's good to get them used to horses. But Martha may not have interest. Both of mine lost interest and I wasn't going to persuade them to ride. We had a lot of fun with our Shetland and now they're off doing other things. Thank you very much for that call, Jen. And we know that every time there's a veterinary story, particularly an equine veterinary story, you're going to contribute with your own expertise from your own life. And I believe that a picture of one of Jen's kids on a pony is on the Dumpty Dum Instagram yeah. feed. Yeah, I think it's uh, Hugo but... dressing up age two as uh, the Braveheart character. Wallace. Um, Wallace, uh, thank you. Thank you. I should know that as well. How ridiculous. Yeah, the the picture should be going up. Theo's doing her, her work behind the scenes, as usual. Yeah. The pony for young children, I have I personally don't haven't had anything to do with animals with my children. None of them were very interested at all, despite having fields and to put them in around us. But my cousins, who live on a farm and have three girls, my cousin's wife is passionate about horses. She had her girls, all three girls, and uh, on horses. They've now gone on to have children of their own. All their offspring are passionate about horses. And yeah, they, it's a community. It's a community. These, it gets them into the pony club community. It gets them out and about mixing with other children. They've got the same interests from a very young age. So yeah, I can see it. I know people have questioned whether it was a, a silly gift. It was a ridiculous gift, Stephen, I think, for, for um, him to have given, Chris to have given to Martha without discussion with Alice it's about time management it's about lots of other things but it was also showing Chris's insecurities about her, her having a new relationship I can agree with that what surprised me a lot of stables have very small ponies Shetlands or, or whatever yeah so that very small children of Martha's age can be put on and led around yeah the ring on a lead 
and it gives them a chance to experience being on the back of a horse. And the amount of time that a child of that age is going to spend actually riding a horse is quite low. So yeah. you don't need a pony <laughs> of your own because no. the stables would be likely to have one of its own that, for those purposes. Yeah. And even by Ambridge standards, Martha is pretty young to have a pony. I was looking back, somebody asked on Twitter when other Ambridge children had ponies. And Helen had one when she was eight. Eight? So, oh, a long, um, a big age difference then. Well, yeah, and that was the ill-fated Comet, who yes. had colic and then had terminal laminitis, which is mm. one of the issues about overweight ponies developing. They can develop laminitis, which, when serious, is basically un uncurable and mm. uh, is just too painful for the horses. It, it's to do with developing its issues with the hooves as a result of carrying too much weight, as I understand it. But that wasn't the youngest. The youngest I have found before Martha was Debbie, who had a horse when she was about five, I think. Brian bought it for her. Now, this is in about 1976. So Brian was still fairly new and was obviously trying to impress his stepdaughter. But I think that was Moonbeam, perhaps. Mm, doesn't mean I don't remember anything about that. I was listening at the time, but no, it's lost yeah. in the fog. I don't know that Alice had a pony before she was in her teens or just before her teens. No, I don't um, remember her being involved with ponies until she was definitely doing pony club and the stables, etc. And yeah. I think Chandler was her first. Yeah, Chandler horse. was her first one, wasn't he? Yeah, a, a proper horse, not a uh, play around pony, I think. Yeah. So I can't remember about. Kate. I do remember that when Alice was grooming Chandra at one point, Lillian and Jennifer were teasing Tony about the age at which he had bought Helen her first mm. pony. And that suggests that they thought that eight was quite too young. young to be given a yeah. pony. So absolutely, Martha is far, far too young and, and would be much better off, as I said, riding a, a stable yeah, you're pony, right. which would then be looked after. And just getting back to Jen's first point, absolutely, it is odd that Jacob, who recommended the pony, surely he would have just given it the once-over, the sort of thing that they did in the stables this week, and just to check whether or not he was in a good state. And having established he might be a bit overweight, then looking out for any evidence of either a cause, and Cushing's disease was one that Jen mentioned, or alternative, looking out for any symptoms of weight-related bigger problems like laminitis. Mm. So it did seem a bit remiss of them to ignore that. And for, and, and for, for Jakob to have recommended the horse and Chris to have bought the horse with nobody apparently having done a proper look at whether or not it was in a, the right state. I hope that they've got insurance. I'm sure they will have got insurance. Yeah. So if, as Jen says, there's a couple of thousand pounds worth of work to be done, that isn't immediately going to hit them. But a bit strange that there are issues with this pony. Quite interesting that Jen as a vet was cynical about vets. So that made me smile. Thank you very much for your call, Jen. And I think we can also say get well soon because I know you've been hospitalised recent, recent few days. So, yeah, I hope you feel better soon. In fact, I think calls from hospital. So any background noises would have been <laughs> hospital noises. Oh, poor Jen. Next up, we have Catherine. Hi all there, it's Catherine. 
Just listen to another excruciating Alice and Chris chit-chatting about Martha. I'm really not that interested in a two-year-old and her sort of inherited trauma from watching a pantomime horse. The whole horse thing, as we discussed last week, was ridiculous. Anyway, meanwhile, back to Kate and the bag of clothing and the Glastonbury wristband. The strange thing she never mentioned throughout the whole thing was Phoebe. Getting in touch with Phoebe, phoning Phoebe, seeing Phoebe at Christmas or New Year. As usual, Kate's kind of rather uh, laissez-faire attitude to parenting comes to the fore. So more about the actual object than the person it, it marked, the person's arrival it marked. But the bag of clothing incident happened to a friend from Twitter. They were going on a, a winter sun break and she got her summer clothes out of the loft, two bin bags, and her husband binned them. And the rest of us experienced an absolute rage. Could you imagine two bin bags of your best summer stuff that you put in the loft for the winter? And I guess it actually does happen. Other things I enjoyed this week was the, uh, the cake made for Henry's party, looking a little bit of the Paris Saint-Germain colours, which was brilliant. And generally the Henry and Helen thing moving on. Although the idea that you'd arrange someone's party for a 13-year-old and not give them any say in it is a bit strange, I think. I'd never have dared. And lastly, the whole thing about Henry and what he's been through. I'm a head of year at a secondary school and I know that I would have been all over helping this child. The idea that he just lumbers along, as we've said before, with no therapy is totally unrealistic. No support from school. It's very odd indeed. Anyway, have a good week, everybody, and speak soon. Yeah, thanks for that call, Catherine. Yeah, I, I always love Catherine's calls because, I, A, she's got a special take on things. And also she does have that experience as a head of year in a uh, senior school of 13-year-olds. And I think Catherine's going to be very useful to us because I think both of us are slightly out of touch with teenage uh, angst. Uh, so, Catherine, keep your calls coming. Henry is, as I said earlier, a story that is going to be developing. Yeah, no therapy. Hmm. I, I don't understand why that has never happened for him. And yes, I agree. He Helen organising the party for a 13-year-old without actually discussing it with him, what he wanted, what maybe she can't get through to Henry. Maybe the, the communication between them sometimes fails because he ends up, we hear him talking to Tony about his feelings and never to his mother because he doesn't want to worry her, in my view. So, yeah, very, very interesting. Now, Phoebe, where the heck is she? We didn't hear from her. We didn't hear her mentioned when Jenny died at the beginning of last year, almost a year ago. We haven't heard her from her at all. And, yes, Kate talked a lot about her feelings, her stuff, but never about the children. Oh, rarely, not never, never say never, rarely about her children. And Phoebe seems to have been forgotten by Kate. Yes, she's disappeared off to Argyle and has never been heard of since, even though I believe <coughs> they have telephones and the internet in Argyle. Gracious, man. <laughs> it's made it over the border. Now, the, the, the whole business of the bin bags, I think that's, that's entirely realistic. And, I, and yeah. a number of people have said that similar things have happened. So I'm, I'm not really surprised by that. One suggestion I have seen on social media is that in organising the fashion show, Mia will go out and source old clothes, not just from the village, and by an act of magic, she will recover some bags that had been found near the, the, <laughs> the, the, the local tip or something that somebody had spotted them. They'd been sorted through and found to be much too good to go into landfill, and then 
she'd heard about it and, and managed to get hold of them. And then suddenly somebody will walk down the catwalk wearing Kate's jacket and yeah. she will go crazy. <laughs> Good I think plan. that's probably a bit unrealistic, but it, it would be a possible storyline. Or alternatively, Kate could refresh her whole wardrobe from stuff that was presented at the, the fashion show. Indeed. That is an interesting part of the story, really, because Kate losing her clothes is one thing. But one of the things that really I didn't quite get was why people sorted out stuff. I thought they were old clothes when they were in the bin bags rather than her actual wardrobe that she was wearing currently. And then suddenly she was around at various people's houses and being given their cast-offs because she had no clothes. So I was a bit confused, but maybe that's just me and the way I was listening this week. I think she just put all her clothes into the bin bags as she was moving out uh, of the, uh, the lodge. So everything that she had at the lodge was in those bin bags and she would have had other stacks of clothes, some like Jacob's place, yeah. possibly some tucked away somewhere that had been at Willow Cottage and were now possibly in the attic at Blossom Hill Cottage. Though I would have thought that Brian would have been yeah. making sure that she took her own stuff away. So I think it's that as for whether they're old clothes, Kate is probably aware of vintage outfits so they probably looked like old clothes to somebody mm. like tony who probably doesn't really notice what people are wearing but when he sees a bin bag full of old dresses and so forth thinks that, that they must be destined for the tip yeah and as Catherine said it was a very realistic story of the actual bin bags being thrown out never stuck store stuff you want to keep in bin bags is the answer so those are the first few calls and there are a few more to come and if you would like to join in by calling us yourself or dropping us a line by message or email, Stephen is here to tell you how. And all the details are also in the show notes. The first option is to record a message or a plot prediction by going to www.speakpipe.com slash dumptydum. And don't forget, that's a T in the middle. The next option is to send us a voice note or a message via WhatsApp on 07810 or plus four four and remove the first zero if you're calling from outside the UK. Please keep your call to a maximum of two minutes. Or finally, we have an email address you can contact us on if you would rather write to us with your views, with a maximum of 250 words, please. And that email address is dumptydum at mail.com. And do bear in mind that you need to be at least 18 to take part and to contribute. Now, should we go back to our calls? Let's do that. And our next call begins like this. Y'all know how this goes. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling. Toss salads and scrambled eggs. Greetings, Jacqueline, Stephen, and all Dumpty Dummers around the world. It's Witherspoon and Angus Haggis here. First, welcome home, Jacqueline, who had an incredible holiday and visited places in the States I've never been to. Now, I wasn't going to call her in this week because I have a bit of laryngitis, as you can hear. It had been a pretty uneventful six days. Well, until an hour ago. I guess purposely so. To go back to the Halloween-themed caller in I made a couple of months ago, I described Rob's brother and father walking away from his funeral on a moonlit night, dogs barking, and suddenly Rob's hand is thrust through the fresh dirt covering his, his coffin. Well, I guess this little scene born of my imagination was correct. Just when Helen and we thought Rob was truly dead and buried, found a way to be resurrected, 
and to come back to haunt our collective dreams. Let me now say to all you Helen haters out there, or Helen, scriptwriters, why do you torture her? How much can one person take? We heard the emotional progress she had been making exhibited in several scenes this week. Her stress level was down, she was being nice to others, and she was acting as a good parent. Will this Helen disappear? I truly hope not. And what's Miles going to do with the property? And please, 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 despite some Dumpty Dumber speculation, no romance between Helen and Miles. Absolutely not. I forbid it. Talk to you soon. Thank you so much for that call, Witherspoon. And I do hope you recover from that laryngitis, which comes through very clearly in that call. It was very good of you to fight your way through it to give us your views. Now, I'm going to come down firmly on this storyline. I was really, really disappointed to discover it was the titular family that had bought that land, as everybody knows. I didn't think that it was good bringing Rob back at all, even just to die off, and, and they took far too long about all of that. And now we've got this titular storyline dragging on and on and on, and from my perspective, it is just so tedious. I really wish they had found some more interesting development, something involving either something new or pulling in a different loose thread. Now, not Matt Crawford and not Hazel Woolley, both of whom had been suggested those would be just as tedious as the titular storyline. But did we really have to do this? And as people have mentioned, Witherspoon mentioned, and indeed Andrea, Helen has been developing and we've had less of the moaning, miserable Helen that was damaged by Rob and her previous stuff. And what was, again, for me at least, quite dull. We were getting a more interesting Helen. We were looking forward to interactions between Helen and Henry. And now we get this wretched Titchener reappearance. And I'm sorry, it really makes me fed up. There are lots of impracticalities from how it could have happened anyway, but we can perhaps get onto that. And we've got another call in on this subject. But no, for me, this was not a welcome development. I'm really very disappointed. Jacqueline, what about you? Yeah, well, I feel exactly the same as you. I think we were in agreement when Rob came back into the storyline for Helen with his imminent death and then his death. We said then they're flogging a dead horse. It was disappointing. It was better when... Rob remained in Helen's head. And I agree with Witherspoon. Helen has actually, apart from the organising a party without telling the 13-year-old what she was doing, she's actually been a pleasant character. I've really, really enjoyed the scenes, especially with Joy. And I think that is a storyline that will develop via Helen. But now it's, if it all goes back into being Helen again with the Titchener's, it's an impractical imposition of the Titchener's in... Ambridge that I don't agree with and I don't like. And in general, I don't like to disagree with the scriptwriters, but this, I think this is a step too far. It's just ridiculous that it was the Titchener's that you'd think they'd want to walk away from Ambridge and forget about it. But say um, Miles and the father um, have bought Bruce. it. Bruce, that's it. Thank you. Bruce, they have bought it and maybe they bought it for Jack. So that gives a different bent on it because, of course, Helen and Tom had looked at buying that land themselves, hadn't they? No, Tom and Tasha 
had looked at buying that land and having a house. And it's, if it was for for bridge farm use, per, uh, per Jack, I don't know, that maybe that's a good thing. But, you know, I, I agree with you entirely. I'm disappointed and I agree that the ongoing Titchener intervention in Ambridge is just tedious. We have another call, our final call, and this is from a first-time caller, Inra, on a similar topic. So let's hear from Emma. Hello, this is Emma calling from snowy northeastern Poland. I'm a first-time caller, Inra, but a long-time listener to the Archers and to the podcast. I've been listening since Ed, Emma and Will had their love triangle, which was a little confusing as a new listener because Ed and Will sounded so similar, it was hard to work out what was going on for a while. I'm glad I persevered, though. So I'm phoning about the land sale to Rob. I was a little confused about why Helen was so upset so suddenly. It's not as though Rob can turn up and build a house on it. And he must have left it to someone. So my plot prediction is he has left it to Helen or the boys. And I think she should embrace this and extend the farm, make more cheese, maybe name it after him. I don't know. Whatever it is, I hope it blows over quickly because Helen's upset and hysterical voice really does grate on me somewhat and enough of rob now i think i'd like to thank stephen for pronouncing my name correctly on the most recent facebook roundup my surname is difficult sometimes so that was nice to hear and thank you and a very big warm welcome emma to the dumpty dum family northeast poland and snow <laughs> that sounds harsh for a winter but a proper winter yeah I agree with you, really. Where is it going, this Titchener story? Helen should embrace it. She shouldn't go down the historical line. But I think that's her setting for anything to do with the Titchener's, that immediate panic. Even Joy joined in, didn't she, when it was announced by Oliver. It was a, oh, no, type of reaction. But, yeah, I don't know where they're going to go with this. So I suppose we've got to watch and wait. I hope it develops and gets over and done with quickly. We know from Oliver that somebody has been looking around at the land and indeed at the barn with a view perhaps to converting it. So I think the idea that it's been bought for Jack doesn't necessarily work because it, it wouldn't be appropriate, would it, to do a barn conversion? But it would give income. Somebody. It would give income if it was let out and the income went to Jack. I suppose that's possible. All we know is that it was bought by the Titchener family. Yeah. No de further details specified at Rob's request or as a dying wish from Rob. But that seems odd on two fronts. The first is probate definitely won't have come through. And so where will the money have come from? And if probate hasn't come through, then the money must be in the hands of Bruce. And it seems odd that Bruce would be willing to invest a lot of money in Rob's dying wishes, given the state of the relationship between the two of them yeah. and how weak Bruce felt Rob was because he had gone and contracted cancer. Yeah. And, and that was clearly, in Bruce's idea, a sign of weakness. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's a very strange twist to the tale. It's a one of the, a yet another watch this space and I hope they develop it soon. I think those are all our calls and we do love hearing from you. So do call in again next week. Let's move on to the Facebook group where we have a very, a very active and friendly and extremely erudite group of 2,500 members. And we need to give a very warm welcome to the newest of them who are Helen Wrights, Katie Teagirl, Gillian Rogers, Jack Watts, Megan Gardner-Hopkins, 
Alan Ball, Helen Angelides, and Phil Markham. So, what has our Facebook group been talking about this week? As I mentioned last week, we're still looking for a volunteer, someone currently involved in the Facebook group. We have a team of great rounder uppers, but at the moment we are still short of a regular contributor to do the roundup for the fourth recording of each month. And this week is the first, so we need somebody in three weeks' time. So if you'd like to join the Facebook Roundup team and take on that slot, please do get in touch. But this week's Roundup comes from Rob. Hello there, everyone. It's the remaining Rob here with the Social Media Roundup. Alistair and Denise caused a split in opinions. Lynn Thullerlum said, Does anyone else feel we spent too much of Christmas at the Met? Whereas Crips... Gibson thought Alistair and Denise continue to heat up the radio with their slow burn passion. Kate had a bit of a lot. All her stuff was chucked away while she was eating, presumably a vegan, uh, scone and cream. Jennifer Henley, though, posted a link to a BBC article about a fashion student's lost portfolio that got accidentally thrown out, turning up 4,000 miles away. Sadly, Kate's black bin bags never reappeared again. Then there was the kerfuffle about Martha's pony. Kate Lyle said, Lillian, Alice and Chris wouldn't need a vet to diagnose the fat pony. But Leo Horstmeyer reminded us that Lillian failed to spot that one of her horses was a bit fat a year or so ago. She got quite mardy with Jacob when he told her. And then the week rounded off with the return of the other Rob, Rotten Rob. Lennis Goodwill said about Rob, so he can haunt from beyond the grave. Personally, I thought that was the traditional place for hauntings to come from. And Darcy Jorgensen wondered, how did the family get that much money? The average finance fairy will be my guess. And that's it for this week. I look forward to another week of fun and frolics on the Dumpty Dump Facebook pages. And hope to be in touch with all of you there. Be warned though, when the chat starts, you can be there for hours. Thank you for that, Rob, and thank you so much to everyone on the Dumpty Dum Facebook group. If you'd like to join them, please do. But don't forget to answer the very easy membership questions so that we know that you're a real person. I don't think we got any reviews this week, did we? No. As you say, it's the Christmas and New Year break, and I think that people have been too busy eating and prepping for dry January to sit down and, and write a review. But it would be really good if people could give us yeah. a review particularly if it's a five-star review and particularly if it's on Apple Podcasts because that feeds into the charts that most people look at. Yeah, brilliant. Let's go on to Twitter where you'll find us at Dumpty Dum. Make sure you include the Archers hashtag using the capital T and A so the visually impaired who use screen readers can enjoy any Archer-based tweets. As well as at Dumpty Dum, I can be found at Jberto Sanguen. And I can be found at Wenlock House. But we are both spending more time discussing the archers on Blue Sky, where I am at wenlock.bsky.social. And I am at jberto.bsky.social. So let's find out who's won the Twitter medals this week. Tweet, tweet, tiger. <laughs> Hello, Shacklin, Stephen and Dumpty Dummers everywhere. It's Purple Pumpkin here with Tweets and Skeets of the Week. And my thanks as ever to Bernadette, Jen and everyone else who tags at Dumpty Dum to make sure we see all the best ones. 
This week on Twitter, alongside a lot of love for Jacob and not much for Kate, Chris or Alice, there was a lot of discussion of some letters to the Guardian, which suggested that Barwick Green should be the new national anthem, with various options on words. One person suggested the lyrics already exist as rum-ti-tum and rum-ti-tiddly. I mean, do these people know nothing? Another set of lyrics cursed the archers and begged for it to be turned off, which would certainly be the regular accompaniment to Barwick Green in my household. Meanwhile, on Blue Sky, a number of people praised the fact that for once the weather in the archers actually matched that in the rest of the country and wondering about the state of the culverts. There was also a fascinating exchange between Jean Rose at Auntie Jean One and Angela Dobb at LMS Bossy, triggered by Ninesy asking about riding gear for a two-year-old and whether it was really necessary. If you need to know about riding tights or riding knickers, they can fill you in. Who knew? Mike Hatton posted his character counts for the year, which make fascinating reading. Helen Archer appeared more than one and a half times as often as the next bunch, with well over a hundred visits. And Stella was in third position, not at all bad for a newbie. Well, now it's time for the medals for Blue Sky Skeets and X posts, all of which we continue to refer to as Tweets of the Week. In bronze position, it's our very own Ambridge Pony Club, at Jen J. Stephen. Ooh, Henry, I remember the day you were born. It was so special. Everyone was so excited to have a distraction from Cousin Nigel plummeting off the roof. The silver medalist is Mel Parker, at Mel Parker Mel, who spoke for many of us. Kate, you abandoned your children. Why care about a wristband? And the gold medal goes to Rich Cuts, at Cuts Rich. Martha was excited about the panto. Oh no, she wasn't. I'll get my coat, he says. But Rich, you get the gold medal. That's it for this week. I hope to see you all on Hashtag The Archers, Twitter or Blue Sky next week. Thank you for that wonderful roundup, Theo. And uh, congratulations to all who were mentioned and especially those who won medals. And don't forget, we're also on Instagram, which is looked after by Theo. And we are at dumb. Next week, we'll be recording at the normal time of first thing Saturday morning. So please get your calls into us by midnight on Friday, UK time. And as we come to the end of this episode, we need to say thanks to all our wonderful contributors and to the whole team who look after our social media and support us in so many invaluable ways. And also to the whole Dumpty Dum community, you make doing this podcast worthwhile. And we must say thank you to Kim Dur Durham and Sunny Ormond for their voices and our podcasting parents, Lucy V. Freeman and Royfield Brown. Thank you so much for listening and joining us today. We're now going off to check that we are dry, but not dreary. So it's goodbye from me. And it's au revoir from me.